Hello, diners. As you all know, Ken and I went on break during the SAG after strike, which began in July and went all the way through November 2023. Well, not all the way, but it went into November. <laughs> anyway, during that time, Ken and I had already scheduled and recorded several interviews with different players in the Queer as Folk universe. We had to postpone all of that until the strike ended. Now, for this episode, I am sharing part of the conversation that I had with Ron and Dan. We recorded this interview in June with the intention of releasing it in July, but in solidarity with the writers and actors, we held on to it until now. I had such a great time with them. We had several exchanges before, but this was the first time that I was able to sit down and chat with them. You really don't get any closer to the characters of Queer's Folk than sitting across from Ron and Dan. We talked for way longer than planned and still didn't get to everything. In this episode, you are getting the first half of our conversation. If we can make schedules work, Ron and Dan have agreed to do a second part with us, and that's where you all come in. Email your questions, your thoughts, anything you want us to share with them. Send that to us at libertydinerdish at gmail.com. One more thing, I want to give a few content warnings. We talked about gay bashings, homophobia, suicidal ideation, references to Ted's drug addiction storyline, and brief discussions about attacks against queer people in queer spaces. Those topics came up in reference to storylines in the show and in some cases, the inspiration behind them. Without further ado, here you go. Hello, diners. I'm Michelle. And somehow the stars and all the magic of pride has aligned and given me the opportunity to be here with Mr. Ron Cowan and Daniel Lipman for an interview. Um, When I started this podcast over three years ago, but that was a one of those things where you put it out into the universe. We're like, this is never going to happen, but I'm just going to say this is something that I want. And then we'll just see what happens. So it took it three years to come back to me, but the opportunity has finally presented itself. And I could not be more excited or more nervous or more grateful to have <laughs> the two of them here. So welcome to Liberty Diner Dish, Ron and Dan. Well, thank you. Thank you, thank Michelle. You, thank you, Michelle. <laughs> Don't be nervous. We're just going into it. Uh, So I have a question that may sound a little bit weird, but I think as writers, you know what I'm saying. Do these characters still live in your head? Oh, yes. Oh, all the time. (laughs) Sure. I think uh, for writers, think their characters sometimes are more in their heads than real people. (laughs) Yeah. I'll tell you something. When when we were writing the show, um, these characters really spoke to us. I mean, I remember once, because um, I, as an executive producer, I had to be involved with casting and design and um, uh, going to the set and whatever, dealing with all the production staff. I remember um, my writing time when we were in Toronto, I would leave for the studio at around eight o'clock in the morning, get back at midnight, unless we had a night shoot, and I would have make myself a cup of tea or sandwich and begin my writing day at around... Um, 1.30 in the morning until around 4.30 in the morning. But it never bothered me because these characters just came to me. They, I knew exactly what they were going to say. I think Ron would say the same thing. So they were very much living characters from the very beginning, which yeah. is very, very odd because usually when you're writing, doing a series, it takes a while for things to get together. But I would say from the very beginning of the show, these characters lived. And I remember being on the set the very first day we were doing the pilot. And I said to Ron, you know, it seems like we've been doing this for for a, a year. That's how everything came together. Uh, when is the last time that you've seen an episode? Uh, two days ago. 
Oh, last night. Last night. Which one did you watch? We were eating dinner and and at home, and I said to Ron, I said, you know, I think Queer as Folk starts tonight. So we just zapped on the TV and we watched it. We saw like half of an episode while we're eating, but it was great to see everybody again. Yeah. Which episode was it? It was the it was the pilot. The pilot. Yeah. That is a great one. We did a question not too long ago, just asking some of our listeners, which one is their favorite season opener? And people had, you know, things to say about all of them, but they were like, it's got to be season one. Like the pilot, it's just got to be that one. (laughs) I and literally millions of others, and that's a growing number. I'm so glad that you guys picked up this show. Um, I've only seen the the first episode of the original version, the British version. And um, even though it's clear that these two are relatives, they are not twins at all. Like you really put your own stamp on, on this show. And that's very evident from the very first episode. So kind of starting there at the pilot, what were some things that you felt like we're keeping this and we're doing an immediate veer here? Were there anything? Definitely. Um, We um, felt, I think that the characters that the characters in our version would need a lot more psychological foundation because mm-hmm. I think American writers are different from British writers in that way. I think British writers are deal more with political and social issues, or at least they have up until recently here. But I, I think Dan and I both felt we didn't really know the psychological underpinnings of those characters, where they were mm-hmm. coming from, why they were behaving they, the way they were behaving, right. why they're the way they are. Uh, so I think we focused on that a lot, and particularly, I would say, with Brian, mm-hmm. because he's a very complex character. Um, in a lot of ways, he's a very thorny, difficult person to many people. We had to understand him, why he was the way he was, and then that filtered down to all the other characters. Why is Michael the way he is? Why is Justin the way he is? So what was their family like? Where did they come from? What what made them who they are? That was a real priority for us when we uh, did our version. We did an episode recently where we covered the first episode of the of the British version, and that was our thing. Like we we went in really excited, but we and this is no diss to Russell T right. Davies. Like it's a great show in its own right, and we but we right. had to like draw a clear boundary to separate the two. Mm-hmm. But that's how we felt. We were like, we don't. There are no layers here. <laughs> so the show was entertaining, but we felt even from that first episode, there are no layers here, and that was the key difference that we that we yeah. saw. Mm-hmm. We also had I don't remember was it eight eight episodes, eight episodes. we had eighty five mm-hmm. so right. we had uh, a lot uh, more time and a lot more opportunity to work with these characters and expand them and and enrich them as we went over five years they I think they really grew I don't think they were the right. same people at the end as they were at the beginning because we hit such a long arc uh, when you just have a season of eight episodes and then a and then a two hour movie there's not that much time to right. really dig in and develop character. That's that's very true. I've been told that Brian is a bit of a combination of the two of you, but more oh, so Ron is. No, I think Scott Lowell and initially, and then one other. Is there any truth to that? Yeah. Uh, actually, I think Brian is more Ron and um, I am more Michael, I think. Oh, okay. Don't you think? <laughs> 
And I think I'm a bit more Emmett and you're a bit more Ted. Probably. Uh. And, uh, I don't think either one of us is Justin. I think mm -hmm. we passed that a few years ago. Uh, <laughs> a couple years ago. Yeah, me and my co-host do this. And he is, he feels like he's definitely more Emmett than uh, than anything. I'm, I'm a combination of a few people, but he is definitely the Emmett. Um, Who are you a combination of? Who are you? I am a combination of, so I have... Emmett's kind of adventurous spirit where I'm always trying something different. Um, but I have a little bit of Brian where I'm a little bit of a, a hesitant person when it comes to, I guess, more of the emotional, psychological stuff. I have a little bit of that, but I can be a little bit um, brave and bold and a little blunt like Justin also. Oh, good. Oh, great. Well, that's a good one. I think he, Justin was a really good role model for young mm -hmm. gay people, yeah. especially back then in 2000. Mm -hmm. Five. I mean, we forget how long ago it was when we first started, but I don't think there are any characters like Justin on TV at all. Well, no, the whole impetus during the show, the show, was it would be a celebration of gay life. Mm -hmm. And we weren't going to have uh, any of the characters walking on a beach and drowning themselves or hanging themselves. Mm -hmm. they, were, they, were, they were happy and thrilled to be gay. And I think you see Justin's journey where, and one of my favorite scenes, of course, is when he's with his mother in the psychologist's office. Oh, yeah. he's calling, and he's saying, you know, I, I'm good at this. I like it. I'm good at this. No excuses. No apologies. Right. And no regrets. And no regrets. No regrets. Yeah. Got to have that part in there. Yeah. So we meet this band of characters in the pilot episode and already there's so much to unpack. And I know technically for you guys, the pilot is kind of like those first three, those yeah. first three together. Yeah. Uh, which feel like a movie to me. If you just watch kind of the three of those, that's a really good movie. I think well, show, Showtime, <laughs> you know, Showtime wanted it to be an event. They wanted a 90 minute pilot and they screened it for various audiences. They put it on their, you know, the, the premiere was 90 minutes. And then they, they sort of uh, divided it into separate episodes. A couple of things from the pilot. And I know some of this came to you prepackaged, but I do know that you and did a phenomenal job, added a lot of psychology to these characters and a lot of motivations to them. So I want to talk a little bit about some of that. So I know that it was already prepackaged that Brian and Lindsay and Melanie were having Gus. But what is your understanding for why Brian ultimately relented and did this favor for Lindsay? They were very close. Um, I don't know if they were sexually. Anyway, I, I'm not saying that they had a hot and heavy sexual romance going on. Right. But I think they were close and cuddly. And I think when she, you know, wanted to do this, he would be the first choice because I think she felt safe with him. And he, I think part of him loved, loved her. I think part of him always loved her. And I think Lindsay and Brian always had that uh, Peter Pan and Wendy bond that they even mm -hmm. referred to in the last episode. So mm -hmm. I think it was that closeness that um, she turned to him and he, he agreed. I don't know that they necessarily were foreseeing the, the ultimate consequences of what they were doing and right. how, how it would play no. out over time. But uh, that's the trouble with life, isn't it? You never know what payoff, what you do today is going to come down the pike a year from now. And they were very young. And I don't, I think as Ron is right, I don't think that Ryan necessarily thought about the future. He was mm -hmm. just doing this for her and um, had no, no thoughts about what would happen. Of course, I think Melanie, Melanie did being the right. And the uh, pragmatist that she is, but um, I think uh, she's more pragmatic, and I think Lindsay was more romantic about it. 
maybe these days we'd call it like a queer platonic relationship where I don't think they had necessarily like a, they weren't dating, but there was a closeness there between the two of them. And yeah, Mm -hmm. maybe that is um, what, what helped make the decision to produce Gus. But Mm -hmm. yeah, so with that, Melanie is kind of always threatened by Lindsay's closeness with Brian, but I don't feel like Lindsay was very helpful in in that. She didn't do a a great job at calming Melanie's fears in that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They're flawed. And as lovely as Lindsay was, the character was, as as lovely as Teo was and is, yes. um, the characters are flawed and all of the um, characters are flawed. And mm-hmm. At one point, uh, Michael was doing something in Babylon and taking drugs and having sex. And somebody wrote in and said, um, how could you do that to, to Michael? I mean, he's so charming and playful. I said, well, he's human. And all the characters are. Yeah. I love all their flaws. It gave us lots of material to talk about on our, on our podcast. I wanted to just go back to what you were talking about, Lindsay and Brian, because it occurred to me that Justin and Daphne probably have a very similar relationship that mm-hmm. Brian and Lindsay had. Good past. I think they're sort mm-hmm. of a reflection of that. And I'm mm-hmm. feeling, I mean, they actually slept together too, Mike, um, right. Justin um, and Daphne. And I have a feeling that if she said, I would like you to be the father of my child, uh, no obligations required, I think he would have agreed. I agree with that. Okay, so a few other things from season one. Aside from just Justin being a looker, would what would you say, what would you say that Brian kind of saw in him? Because as early as episode like two or three, he says, "Well, I think he's kind of sweet." And so even though he's like, "Hey, this was a one time deal. You should go away now," but and so he's pushing him away. But I don't feel like he's pushing as hard as he could be pushing. So even from the beginning, what do you think that Brian might have seen in Justin? I'm not sure what he saw in Justin any more than any of us really could say what we saw in the person that we fell in love with. It was a feeling. It was a, It was just somehow, even if you didn't know it consciously, unconsciously, mm-hmm. you knew. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I completely agree with you. I think he fell in love with Justin from the very beginning. Yeah. And I think Justin really always held the cards in that relationship, even mm-hmm. though Brian was older and had more money, of course. Um, I don't think that's what necessarily gave him the emotion, the emotional power. I think Brian would do, would have done anything for Justin. And he did, yeah. uh, including being very loyal. And Justin was not. So yeah. I think from the very beginning, Justin held the cards. I do. Yeah, I, th- I agree with that. And I also think that, uh, the boldness of Justin was something that Brian could not deny. And I think um, Brian himself being a very, a very bold character um, and unafraid, I think that that was sort of uh, a, a attractiveness to Justin. Uh, I agree with Justin. that too. Yeah. Justin, uh, Justin was didn't very, up. He didn't very up. brave and he wasn't going to give up. And uh, I think Brian respected that, even though mm-hmm. he pushed him away, but Brian is, Brian, I think, always has a hard time dealing with any kind of emotions, but I think eventually he comes around. Mm -hmm. I always felt like that was kind of the main reason that Michael would never be the right choice for Brian, because he doesn't offer that challenge or that boldness. Like, they'll they'll be friends, but I don't think he could ever go beyond that because he doesn't really, even though he'll kind of fuss at him like he's, (laughs) you know, like he's Debbie or something, but 
he never really challenged him in the same way that right. that Justin did. Right. And they, they were like brothers. Mm-hmm. That's how we thought of them. And, right. and Debbie was sort of both of their mothers because of Brian's family life, which was very difficult having a, a, um, an alcoholic father and a, and a Christian a mother who was telling him he was going to hell. Uh, he didn't exactly have a happy home life. It was, I think, beyond dysfunctional. So Debbie was their mother and they hung, they were always in Michael's bedroom goofing around or even, you know, doing what boys do together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, fooling around, fooling around. So I don't, but that's not, that's not love. Right. That's brotherly love. And dependency too, emotional dependency. Yeah. Cause there were a little bit of toxic elements with it. Again, we're going back to the flaws that they all have. And I think because of when they found each other in life, you know, Michael really wanting a hero, really wanting a father figure. And then Brian having been abused and abandoned and rejected by his family his whole life. And so they kind of found each other at very needy times in their life. And so I felt like that kind of contributed to a little bit of some maybe unhealthy codependency there. But there also was a brotherly love and relationship with yeah. them. And very, each one very, very important to each other in their lives. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think Michael wanted more than Brian could give. For sure. Yeah. And he waited around for it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. 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 And yeah. uh, he wasn't very happy with the with Justin's opinion of Brian's <laughs> life either. Right. Yeah. He was not very happy about uh, the introduction of Old Sunshine. <laughs> I'm sorry. I also think that Michael also is a romantic. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, Brian was not. And then mm-hmm. with, going on what Ron just said, I don't think that Brian ever would have um, given him what he really wanted, like what he got out of from Ben and mm-hmm. from Dr. David at the you mm-hmm. know, first real relationship. I, mm-hmm. I think one of the other things we did when we were developing the show to go back to that that question of yours was I think almost immediately we knew that the primary relationship was Brian and Justin, not Brian and Michael. Right. And I think we built the show around their relationship, uh, which I think was different than the the British one. Um, but we we kept developing Brian. And uh, Justin, because it felt that they belonged together. Mm-hmm. And but uh, but uh, at the beginning, it was really that triangle. Michael, Michael, oh, Justin, yes, and Oh, yes, but I'm Ryan. saying over time. Over time. As we developed the show. As they began to grow. You know, one, one of the things we always said, the show was about boys becoming men. And as the boys began to mature and become men and finding their own um, path and their own uh, sexual and romantic path, um, uh, that triangle began to split a little bit. Well, yeah. yeah. Michael had to find someone someone else in his life because it was never going to be Brian. And Brian, I think, uh, not in a not very nice way, but let him know that that was never going to be. Yeah, he, he played up on that when it was to his benefit um, or when he feared losing Michael, maybe, you know, because... He knew how to pull him back. He all, yeah. Brian always knew how to pull uh, well, he, didn't, he didn't want to lose him. He right. may have wanted him as his, as his the love of his life, but he certainly didn't want to lose him. But I do right. think that Michael was one of the loves of his life. I think that uh, Brian uh, very much felt that Michael was probably the most important person in his life. Um, 
in certain ways. In certain ways. In certain so ways. That, there was a dichotomy of it all that it was Michael and Justin who became these two most important people in his life, and Brian having to sort of um, juggle that. Yeah. Well, especially because he wasn't used to a romantic relationship like right. that. And so it took a while for him to let that find its place and allow it to have its place in, in his right. life. Well, he didn't want one. And I right. think another thing that we did right at the beginning, now that it's coming back to it, we, and this was rather important. I don't know why I didn't think of it right away. Why didn't you? Well, <laughs> matter, Ricky? well tell me anyway. what you're thinking. <laughs> Brian's philosophy, he had, right. we wrote a monologue for him. It was out on the street in front of the cars and he, and in the first episode, basically, right. in the first, right at the very top of the show, Brian said, "This is who I am. This is what you're going to get, and this is what you're never going to get. So you either have to take it or leave it. But this is, this is who I am, and I don't believe in marriage. That's something for straight people, and they get into it, and then they can't get themselves out of it, and they end up hurting each other. And I'm not going there. So this is not going to happen. Okay. So I think once we wrote that monologue um, really um, declaring what Brian's philosophy is, we could follow that through through the rest of the show. And and the and the uh, conflict, the, the what was um, what was always in Justin's path was getting over that, getting Brian to love him. Brian was in that way the immovable object that was standing in Justin's way right. of getting what he wanted, but eventually he did. And we could keep that conflict going over five years. Too. We also felt that Brian was probably the most moral character because he lived by his own code. And um, whether you agree with it or not, that was his code and he lived by it. And uh, yes, and one of the things that, that you wrote to us was, no, Brian never lied. No, he never, he never lied. I think he told the truth in a, and sometimes in a very cruel way. He used it as a weapon, but he never lied. Um, and in that regard, I think he was very moral. Although yeah. I'm sure some people would think his sexual behavior wasn't moral, but you know, and Justin also, some, as we all can say, your de someone's definition of promiscuous is anyone who's getting more than you are. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> this is one of the reasons why Justin, after his uh, relationship with Ethan Gold, went back to Brian because he realized that Brian didn't lie, that Brian was a moral person. And uh, that's why he went back to him or that, wanted to get back. And, you know, Brian, whatever uh, negative feelings people had for Brian, he was the one who always was there for his friends. Emotionally, yeah. financially. He always came to their rescue. He never abandoned them. He was always there, completely supportive. He was intensely loyal to his friends, even under the most difficult circumstances. He never turned his back on his friends. He just wasn't sentimental or romantic, mm -hmm. that's all. That was just yeah. who he was. Yeah. He, he knew who he was more than most people ever know who they are in real life. Right. And he had his philosophy, his code. He knew who he was. And I think in some way that probably, you know, disturbs some people who may not have that self-awareness and self-confidence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I think it, some people maybe interpreted it the wrong way as a very, like, cocky, arrogant sort of thing. But I think when you do that, you kind of ignore the side of Brian that is very insecure and that is very worried about 
what his value is outside of what he can offer in the back room and his looks and his Mm -hmm. money and his job title. And so, yeah, I think you ignore all of that and you forget about that weakness in him, those wounds in him. If you just focus on, oh, he's so sure he's annoying. What you just said is y'all made him human. And that's why we created the backstory for him that we did growing up in that horrible family and mm-hmm. his horrible sister mm-hmm. and his horrible, mm-hmm. nephews. His horrible nephew. Uh, I mean, that that would uh, make anybody a bit neurotic. And, and uh, yeah, you know? I've got a special trash can for the Kenny families. But he had Debbie to turn to and he had Michael to right. turn to. So they were his safe place. His family. Go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it's really nice and we'll get there, but it's really nice to see how that, that expanded over the seasons and how that grew to encompass. Mm-hmm. Well, Lindsay ultimately, and then even Ted and um, Ted and Emmett, and of course, Justin and Jennifer even. And so um, it was really nice to see that, that yeah. circle expand. Well, it's, also, it's also the whole thing about, which is a cliche by now, but it's true that um, you, you choose your own family. You're able mm-hmm. to choose your own Most, a lot of gay people do choose their own family. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's what we did. We did. And that's what, and that's what all these characters uh, did in the show. And so it really, really was a family show when you think about it. Absolutely, it was a family. I think one of the most interesting relationships Brian had was with Ted. I don't think mm. he liked Ted at all. And he certainly didn't respect him. But by the time he was through with him after five years, Ted turned into a good man. Yeah. I almost felt like he was the best friend by season five. Like Michael, uh, like he kind of bumped Michael out of the way because they kind of had more in common in, in some ways. I think Ted had an amazing growth experience in this show, including the, that very upsetting storyline with yeah. the, drugs, the drugs. But yeah. but again, who saved, who saved Ted? It was Brian, yeah. Of all people, he's the one who saved Ted's life, basically, and then brought him back back to life, kept him out of jail, gave him a job, and turned him into a a real grown-up man who had some Mm -hmm. self-confidence and a a spine. And he he was very cruel to Ted, and he told Ted cruel truths about him. Um, You always get rejected because you go after somebody you're never going to have. So, obviously... Some part of you wants to get rejected and must like it because you keep going back for more. Ted said, thank you, thank you for the free shrinking lift for this free, free shrink session. But I always, love when, I always love when Ted, the scene where Ted tried to be Brian. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was a good one. That was his dream. And of course, it totally because, because he failed. Because he didn't know who he was. Right. right. And he had no self-respect. So Ted would not have had that fantasy at the end of the series that he had back then when he was wanting to be Brian. Well, I think they all wanted to be Brian in a way because they all, despite their problems with him, they admired him and they knew he was great looking and could get any anyone he well, wanted. He, he knew who he was. He had confidence. Yeah, but, even right. Ma- but even Michael finally found out who he was and what he wanted. Mm-hmm. He wanted they all did. He I think wanted they all wanted to be married. He wanted to be a father. And of course, that brought out all those great conflicts with Brian, who in the last accused season. him of, you know, mm-hmm. being, you know, like a separate a, fag. A separate fag, if we can say the word anymore. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. you know, he were going to move to the suburbs and have kids and be like straight people. And he, he was furious at Michael's 
decision because Brian was basically a separatist. He was going to stay in the gay community and be a gay person, and he was not going to be like straight people. And I think that I think right because I think Brian had a real issue with straight people too. Yeah, what was the line about the straight people? Um, we had a line about it. What? They're right. the ones who hate you to your face or behind right. your back. Right. Yeah. Thank you, Michelle. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you for reminding us. I was going to say that. Right. I think Brian definitely had issues with straight people. I think when people began to get married and began to, straight gay people, and wanted to sort of um, become part of the um, straight society in a way, there are a lot of gay people who, um, and I think probably from another generation, not maybe the present generation, but, you know, they they wanted to stay with that, with the kind of behavior that they had and the kind of... Um, well, but, yeah, well, why would you want to be like the people who made your life miserable and right. hate you and tried to keep you from ever being who you are, accomplishing what you want, who out and out would rather see you dead than alive? Why would you want to be like them? Yeah. I think that was Brian's attitude now that's different now but you have to remember that when we were writing the show uh you couldn't get married in this country right that was years and if you remember too bush was president and he was and he uh, announced in the um, rose garden how he wanted to change the constitution in terms so of marriage. marriage was between a man and a woman but that was the atmosphere in which we were writing right where spoke which is a very different world than now. So I don't right. think a lot of young people coming up now know what it was like no. back back then. And um, I think that, you know, the very hostile attitude towards gay people back then really formed Brian's, Brian's attitudes. And they could only have, you know, pretend marriages. They could get married for real in Canada, but as soon as they crossed the border, they weren't married anymore. Also, you have to remember, too, that in the year 2000, we started writing this in 1999, but in the year 2000, um, a show about gay people, mostly gay people, was very exotic. It isn't anymore, but it was back then. And you wrote us this morning about the um, the credits at the beginning of the first couple of seasons. Mm-hmm. That was very deliberate. You see, we wanted it to be to throw it in people's faces. So you see, you now Q, U, E, E coming at you with these um, gorgeous guys doing their R. doing their thing. What R? Oh, I forgot the R. The R. <laughs> it was queer. It was queer. Uh, and also, it was before the gay community owned the word queer. Right. It was, it was still kind of a. Uh, pejorative word. It isn't now. So you have to understand where the show was coming from and uh, why we, we got reviews from people, some people saying, um, well, where, where's, this, where's the straight person that's leading us through this gay um, society? And, and, that, world. We need and that was not the point of it. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why would you have a, a straight person navigating in this very queer space? Yeah. Exactly. exactly. Mm-hmm. Because that was a straight critic Right. Mm-hmm. And it told you immediately a lot about where that critic's head was at. And so that uh, review went right into the garbage can. <laughs> yeah. We, we never listened to any of the reviews. We never listened to what people wanted, didn't want, didn't like. We yeah. just, you know, I, I remember saying that, uh, you know, this is not a, uh, a charitable organization. This is an artistic endeavor. And we have a vision. And we're going to, uh, stay with that vision. And the reason Ron and I stayed with the show 
for the entire run was because we didn't want to turn it over to people who might want to soften it. Mm-hmm. You know, we really wanted it to be continue to be edgy, have all the all the sex scenes. Well, that was the show, unapologetic in your face. Right. Um, it had a very aggressive feel to it. Yeah. And it was fun, I have to say. It was yeah. fun. And it was funny, which I, you know, I, I think that's um, an interesting thing. That's about the secret show. ingredient. Because mm-hmm. we thought of it as a comedy drama. There was as yeah. much funny stuff as there was serious stuff. It wasn't you know, humorless drama like most of television shows. They're either ha-ha funny or deadly serious, mm-hmm. no laugh at all, just serious. And we were blending the two. Um, some shows do that, but mm-hmm. most shows stick to one of those two formulas. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the show was uh, definitely over the top at times, but that's comedy for you, isn't it? Comedy isn't yeah. always realistic. Also, you can't write gay characters without them being funny. I've never been in a room with, with gay men where you're not joking all the time and performing all the time. And that's very true. Never happened. So that's what we, we intended to do. And a lot of it is still, I'll tell you, we watched last year when they showed it, uh, a Pride, we did, or during the pandemic, we watched the entire series every night for a month or whatever it was. And I just amazed how it holds up. It really, I was really so proud of it. It's not something where you cringe and say, ooh, that doesn't work. And ooh, you know, back. Uh, I don't think it's gotten stale, but no, the world has changed a lot, of course. Right. And right. we, we can't see the future so who knew what the world would be like you know uh 15 years later however long it's been um so we were writing in the time we were writing it but i still think the characters hold up the humor it's still funny i still care about these people it's still emotional and and moving because i don't think people underneath really change i mean attitudes social political attitudes change but i think the core of people has pretty much been the same since day one. Yeah, I agree with that. Well, you know, I said I watched it. It was three years ago, a little over three years ago, and I, it still felt very fresh to me. I mean, I know language has changed. You know, maybe some terms have changed, but you know, like you said, you can't see the future on things like that. But and we still get I we still get messages of people who are just finding the show and falling in love with it. So yeah, it is definitely really that's definitely true. held its shape over the years. That's, that's very gratifying oh, to hear. That's great to hear. Yeah, Yeah, every week we get some email or some DM on one of our social media accounts where it's like, I just found the show. I'm binging and catching up. So, yeah, it is still, yeah, still making the rounds. (laughs) Well, it still makes me laugh. I still think it's pretty. I still think Brian's remarks and and Emmett, I mean, mean, there's, I just think. And the cast and the cast was so remarkable. I mean, they just did remarkable, remarkable work. Yeah, it felt like it all just kind of aligned well. Like the, um, you know, and I've had the opportunity to speak with different cast members, and um, a lot of them are different from the character they play. Except for Michelle, she's pretty close to Melanie. (laughs) But uh, I wondered if you felt like that. Yeah, she's very political. But Michelle was is was I assume she still is, but she was very very brave, and I remember having Mm -hmm. this talk with her because when people first got the, the pilot they didn't know what to make of it but she immediately I talked to her and she said oh, I'm, I'm all in and I'm going to do this and they were all so brave they really were so brave because a lot of people you know we had a lot of problems casting the show and a lot of people Ron will tell you um, a lot of agencies didn't send us 
um, clients. And in fact, there was one actor who was willing to be Brian for one season. Oh, wow. And we said, no, we can't. We actually considered it. We said, can't do that. Because what if the show's, we didn't know the show would be a success. Mm -hmm. What if it's a success? What are we going to do? Yeah. And we lose our lead character. So our cast was was amazing. And um, love them all. Half of them, I guess, were straight. The other half were gay. Never took a head count, but it was mixed. And I thought everybody was equally passionate and committed, like, like, like Scott. Um, mm-hmm. he's spoken with, you know, and Gail, he, very, very committed to gay organizations, gay causes, uh, as much as any gay person. And you have to remember too, you know, it's easy for an actor to do a one-off. I mean, you can do one broke back mountain or one episode of a show or a film or whatever, or a play, but to do this for five years, yeah. uh, is, and especially doing things that we asked them to do, um, was very difficult. And moving to Canada. <laughs> moving to Canada? Yeah. And when yeah. you do a series, we'll be in another series, Sisters also. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was for six seasons. And when you do, a, when you do a series, most of the time you're getting actors at their peak. They're giving you their talent at their peak for six years, for five years. So we always intended, we, and I think we did, we, we wanted to make this a, a, a fun effort. I think everyone had a really good time on both series. But talking about Queer as Folk, I think people really, really enjoyed they doing were, the show. They were passionately committed to it. And Very few problems. It wasn't, it wasn't always easy. And no. no, there weren't a lot of problems, but it's hard doing yeah. a show. And, and mm-hmm. they, they gave everything to it. Yeah. And that comes across on the screen because I feel like Sometimes you have to remind yourself that these are not real people because they, I mean, they they left very little space between themselves as an actor and their character. They left very, very, very little space there. And so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Me too. I can't tell you how many times I called Scott Ted. Yeah. We have to call Ted. I mean, Scott all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could definitely see that see that happening. Um, yeah, okay. Well, I'll do one more question from season one, and then I'll just kind of move on to some other random things for us. But this it has been great. I mean, I could just sit and listen to the two of you talk all day long. But one thing I want to make sure I get in here is why does Brian decide to go to prom? Because Justin kept asking me, and kept saying, "No, no, no." <laughs> well, I think Brian's initial response to everything is uh, to not get emotionally involved and to keep his feelings to himself. He, he, and I think Justin uh, ultimately wins him over every time. I think, of course, if Justin had come to my prom, he's going to say, are you kidding? I'm not going to go with a bunch of 17, 18-year-olds. I look like an idiot. I don't want to be there anyway. Um, I mean, of course, that's going to be Brian, but I think after well, let me interrupt for one thing. Is that the episode where it begins with his thirtieth birthday? Yes. Yeah. Now that's the same episode. Yes. That's a lot the white scarf. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So um, that's right. He's turned thirty, and of course, all of his friends, especially Ted, are thrilled that he's about to uh, <laughs> die because he's thirty. Uh, and I think that has a lot to do with. It. I think he began to very conflicted because here he is with this seventeen-year-old. Um, lover, 18, 18 year old lover, mm-hmm. and I think he's very conflicted. Um, but I think that got the better of him after a while. And he, don't you think, has something to do with him? I think he just, as I said, I just think he always, Brian always loved Justin, and eventually, he just, it just, 
you just came around to it. I, I mean, it's hard to describe how a person does that. But Brian also knew that his appearance and dancing with Justin, I mean, now, today, if you go to a prom, I'm sure there are a lot of um, uh, women dancing with women and boys dancing with boys. But back then, he had to know that he was going to put on a show. Mm -hmm. uh, and that he had to was, be part of it. Yes, he was going to give Justin the prom of his dreams. So, yeah, he went from point A to point Z. That's true. And I just want to say to the listeners out there, uh, if you can get a hold of a DVD, because uh, the song Save the Last Dance for Me really yeah. is very emotional there. And what they've substituted, which we had no control over what they substituted. Sometimes it, when you watch the series on TV or stream it, it's all right. You don't care. But there are certain moments like uh, the yeah. song Pride in the beginning. And that was a, like a theme song of the show, Pride, which they had to take out and save the last dance for me. That's the one that that hurt me the most, personally yeah. speaking. I mm -hmm. really felt the loss of that song. Which one? Save the last yeah. dance for me. I thought the scene just didn't have that feeling. It Power did. doesn't have it without it. substituted some other song. Some muzak soundtrack yeah. it's just not yeah. the same well the lyrics of that song are perfect not only for that moment but for, the, for their relationship in the understanding that they have and the commitment that they have where it's like you can go do all these other things but that last dance is for me and that is the most brian and justin song ever and yes yeah, so i think when you see it without it uh it doesn't have the same power it just isn't right. the same. oh well yeah 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 well, i think it's on youtube isn't it yeah, you can find it on YouTube. Mm -hmm. I think yeah. they last for me. I think they somebody put up that one oh. number. I don't know if it's still there. Yeah, well, but, that you know things go between being taken down and then put back up and taken down. But oh, yes, but I do encourage people to get the DVDs. That's the best way to watch the whole series. Yeah. Okay, so everything with prom is beautiful until it is not beautiful, and yeah, I think. Unfortunately, that story had to be told too. the the bashing. I feel like I don't know. You can kind of speak to that. But even though that was so beautiful, the dance with them and because Brian was very conflicted, that whole episode where he's near about to hang himself with his with his scarf there because it's kind of out of his mind. And I, 30 is a really big deal for him. Um, some people might say it's vain, but for a character like Brian, that is a really big deal um, because of all those fears about all right, I'm on my way out now. I've got no more no more value. You won't be the king of Babylon anymore. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And which now seems silly because 30 seems so young, but but back then and also in the gay community, 30 was a big deal. Um it, is. it still is. That that is very true. That oh, is yeah. yeah, very true. But so we have that beautiful scene with them, and then we have awful Chris Hobbs in in the bashing and uh, tell me why that was an important story to tell as well. Well, reality comes to queer as folk. Yeah. And um, uh, Justin, um, Randy rather, sort of reminded us a little bit of Matthew Shepard, didn't he? Mm -hmm. Very much so. We, we knew this story was coming right from the beginning. And yeah, uh, we knew we were going to end the season with that. Matthew Shepard's murder at the time. And we were, of course, much younger then, but that was a very traumatic story it was it was so upsetting um in fact um i remember i cut matthew shepherd's picture out of the newspaper and put it in my wallet at the time so that story was so important but in our version of reality you see he wouldn't die 
We were going to correct that story. We were going to correct our make-believe universe he would live. Mm -hmm. So that story was very, very important and very seminal to us for the entire show and Justin's character, everything. That uh, (laughs) rewriting of reality, Mm -hmm. that was... um, very important. But a lot of it was the fact that reality came to Queer Spoke because with all the jokes, the jokes and, and the funny business and um, the familial uh, attitude of all these characters, reality, unfortunately, came into their lives and it was crushing, really, mm-hmm. really, but it was figuratively cr- uh, uh, crushing. And we wanted the audience to know that this was not all fun and games, that this is mm-hmm. what even though it's a celebration of gay life and people, as I said, are not hanging themselves without Brian tried to. Um, but, um, but this is something that still exists today. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Just, just like the bombing of Babylon, which at the time somebody thought was so over the top. Yeah. Well, unbelievable. Hello. Now, yeah. after Pulse, people didn't say that anymore. Right. So uh, those things happen even now. There's articles, stories in the paper all the time about things going on again, well, not just against gay people, but um, against people of color. Uh, hate. Hate, hate, hate. And it's just awful. So um, that reality, that part of queer folk has not gotten outdated for sure. No. Yeah. And also, on a, just from a very... And now, of course, now everybody, now the right, the, uh, the right is attacking trans people. Right. But so, from a dramaturg's point of view, and from our point of view from a writer, that presented us with a lot of drama, a lot of good storytelling. Mm-hmm. It was important. Mm-hmm. And it carried on for many seasons. And also included when, remember, Chandelier, the, yeah. uh, you know, she, he was bashed. And, um, of course, when the bombing of Babylon and there was the, um, the vigil, the night, the candlelight vigil and the hate group and Ben, you know, attacking them. I mean, it, it, was, it was a thread. Oh, that was, that was the, real. No, it was this crazy minister and his followers i wish went I to the funeral's name they would show up at gay people's funerals like um during aids when people mm-hmm. you deserve to die glad you're dead they Sign, would, carrying they signs. Would really do this is real we didn't make yeah. this up and yeah. i wish i could remember this lunatic's name um but yeah he would so this yeah reverend, so, this so-called reverend right. would go out and and yell at people and say, you're going to die, you're, you're gonna, you deserve to die, you're going to go to hell. So we wanted this thread throughout the series. Mm-hmm. We touched on it every now and then, just to remind people that hate is out there and hate doesn't go away. And Dumpster sure. Boy. And Dumpster Boy. He didn't even yeah. have a name. He didn't even find this yeah. kid in a dumpster. I mean, things happen. But, you know, now, not just to gay people, but to anybody who is, doesn't fit into their vision of what this country's supposed to be. Right. Yeah. Something that I love that you guys did um, is with those stories, like having Justin live and then with Dumpster Boy, having him get a name, you know, having him be validated as a human being, having him. And then with Michael, I someone sent us in a question and they said that they had heard that from a storytelling perspective, it would have been better if Michael had died in the bombing. And I was like, no, that's not the point. The point is we will survive. That's what season five is pushing like no matter what they try, what they throw at us, we will survive. And that is made clear by Michael surviving. You know, no, so not everyone does. Wait, Michael to die? Well, I, they were saying from a storytelling perspective, yeah. that made more sense. And I was like, no, that's did, if you're telling a different story. Die. You know, a lot of people did die. Um, uh, right. Naomi and Lindsay's friend, Dusty. Right. Died. But they wanted mm-hmm. Michael. They thought dramatic. It needed to, right. right. It would have been 
a very powerful story. But um, but I think the other is just is just as powerful, if not more powerful. Like, no, we are surviving this. Like, this is still happening. Reality is coming here, but we are still surviving it. I think that's true. That's we we agree with, and that. that's why the very last uh, one of the very last lines Michael has in the entire series at the end of season five is like Gloria Gaynor's, "We will survive." So we kept talking for another hour or two. Most of it was very self-indulgent on my part with me asking about all of my theories and getting clarification on stuff like what was the story behind Brian's bracelet? Don't forget to email your questions for Ron and Dan, libertydinerdish at gmail.com. We will get to as many of those as possible. All right, that's all for now, folks. We're out of here. <laughs>